Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. <clears throat> if you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, to the 12th chapter. That comes right after the book of Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Next week, we're going to begin a, however long it takes, study of the Gospel of John. And um, in the month of May, I've been seeking to do some topical type messages and sermons. You notice in your bulletin, the title today is Growing Old Gracefully. That's not unique to me, that title isn't, or is the subject really, but uh, the the, the, uh, title is not unique to me, and that's not the normal topic of any sermon because you don't hear many sermons on this topic. Most sermons relate to the first and early years of life, but not much about these years of life that I have found myself in recently when I am turning 69 in two weeks. Uh, I've been there for a while, actually, uh, but uh, just thinking about that, thinking about doing this gracefully and how that looks biblically. I want to be biblical. I've spent the first parts of my life wanting to be biblical. Now, let me, how do I do this last part of my life? How do I do that biblically? That is the question. That is the motivation for this sermon. Uh, knowing that many of you are with me, uh, right up next to me, or you're already well into these years of your life called elderly or old age. Um, Some of you are going to be helping parents deal with growing older. And so I hope this will be helpful to us this morning. This is kind of self-counsel in some ways as I go through this. In fact, uh, I give my children permission to play this sermon back to me (laughs) if they need to in the future. Uh, because these are things that I desire greatly to exemplify my life, and I would pray that any Christian would want to exemplify their life as they enter into older age. It's important. It's an important topic. We want to grow old gracefully. We want to be, get this, we want to be a blessing to our children If you have children, and you want to be a blessing to those who may be taking care of you in old age, because somebody's going to have to take care of you at some point. Jay Adams wrote this book, Wrinkled But Not Ruined. What a title. It's a great book. A lot of what I say this morning will be from things I gleaned from this book and other books I've read on the subject, but this is a really good one because he focuses on how to counsel those of us who enter into these years of life. He, in his book, he defines the aging process or the, the definition of aging. Listen to this. We should think of aging as a process of loss. Growing old is a process of loss. Loss includes stamina, Companions, friends, independence, loss of job, finances, your home, and eventually the loss of your life. That sounds like a pretty valid definition. 
The Apostle Paul sums it up in five words. In 4.16 of 2 Corinthians, he says, our outer man is decaying. That's growing old. Solomon, in the passage you're looking at in front of you, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, uses some very dreary words to describe aging. And this would be from the perspective of one who is not in Christ. As these words are written, this is life under the sun, S-U-N. But notice how he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Remember, and I'm gonna, what I'm going to do, well, let me just read this first. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. See that? And the years draw near when you say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. There's, there's, gonna, there's stormy weather ahead, is what he's saying. And then he describes it, giving this view of old age. And like I said, Milton Terry, I believe is his name, gives some great commentary on this. And let me just share some of his interpretation of some of the symbolic language here. Verse 3, and he's describing old age. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, arms and hands start trembling. And the mighty men stoop, the legs weaken and the back is stooped over. The grinding ones stand idle because they are few. That's talking about your teeth starting to disappear. And then those who look through windows grow dim. It's talking about eyesight starting to go. Verse 4, and the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. He's talking about a lose to the loss of appetite. And one will arise at the sound of a bird, and, and all the daughters of song will sing softly, talking about the problem of sleeping at night. Verse 5, furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and terrors on the road, just fear of heights and fearing situations in daily life that you never faced before. The almond tree blossoms, talking about your hair getting gray. The grasshopper drags himself along, and the capybara is ineffective, talking about the lack of strength, can't even lift a grasshopper. And for man goes to his eternal home, all mourners go about in the street. Then the end is death. Verse 6, remember him before the silver cord is broken. Talking about God. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. Uh, the, the brain begins to go. You're thinking. And the rest of the body and the heart and the lungs, the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel of the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. That's the burial of the body, the separation of the spirit which returns to God. It's really hopeless and gloomy apart from Christ. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity under the sun. Listen, aging is not easy, but it is our final way to glorify God. And that's what I want to focus on this morning, glorifying God in this process. It's not easy, and in the early 1900s, people were living to 47. That was the common age. People were dying. And now it's doubled because of all the advancements in medication, things like that, to almost 80. 
is the 8085, somewhere in there. People are living longer, and some even longer than that. But he says in this verse is that, remember the Creator, back in verse 1, remember the Creator before the evil days come. Talking about, as, us, as you and I as Christians, we don't have to lose hope. We don't have to lose hope. We never lose hope, in fact. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Look at Isaiah 46 while you're in Ecclesiastes. Flip over to Isaiah 46 for a moment, verse 3. Isaiah 46, verse 3. He says in verse 3, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. That's verse 3. Verse 4, even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you, and I will bear you, and I will deliver you. He says, no matter what we face, we don't lose heart. And we get an opportunity to not just experience loss, but to express faith in God through it all. It's just comforting to know that in this process that there's one more opportunity that we have to trust in God and not trust in ourselves. And there's nothing new about that because the believer knows this. You have been a believer before you entered old age. If you were a believer before you entered old age, nothing has changed. You know what it is, you know what it is to not be able to trust in yourself. You know what that is already. You're familiar with that feeling, that truth, that reality. Nothing changes just because you hit 65. Everything's still the same about God and my need for Him and my dependence on Him. Nothing changes. We would learn to be dependent on God before. And also, you know, we learn to be dependent on others before as well. That's the body of Christ. So nothing changed. It's the same thing. It's just a different opportunity to express that truth. Decades of habits become your friends in old age. Follow me? Whatever habits you've established, what graces you have uh, relied on in terms of Bible reading and prayer and fellowship in the church and involvement in the lives of other people, all of those habits become your friends in old age. Young people develop habits that will carry you through. Jesus was asked this question, what is the greatest commandment? And this is what everybody needs to do. When you get in trouble in life, go back to the basics. Go back to the two commandments that Jesus said were the greatest commandments. To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Embrace that. If you want to know how to grow old, that's it. Embrace those two things. Loving God and loving others. The flesh and the world are going to tell you, you read those retirement magazines, the flesh and the world are going to tell you to love yourself. 
Be self-serving as you face the fear of the future. As you face the fear of change, be self-serving. That's the message of the world. Jesus says, no, love God, love others. The rules don't change as you grow old. That's always been the commandment, even before you hit 65. It's always been the command. That's Christianity 101. Go back to the basics. Go back to the basics. Turn to that passage in 2 Corinthians for a moment. Chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 15. I want you to look at that first. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. He says in verse 15, for all things are for your sakes. Notice Paul, love of others. Everything I do is for your sake. I'm thinking about you so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people, talking about the gospel is spreading and may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. That's the love of God to the glory of God. Paul is wrapped up in their sake of others, he's wrapped up in the glory of God, and he's involved in the gospel. That's what verse 15 says. Therefore, therefore, we do not lose heart. Because I'm involved in those things, I don't lose heart. They feed my inner man, he's affixing to say. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. What keeps you from losing heart in old age and keeps your inner man encouraged? It's as you're watching your outer man decaying, don't descend into self-centeredness. Don't descend into grumpiness. Stay encouraged and grow gracefully. Love God. Love your neighbor. Stay excited about the gospel. That's what we need to do. Nothing's changed. Those commands were there before you entered this phase of life, and they're going to be there right here in this phase of life. It's Christianity 101. Let me tell you three benefits of, of growing older and some dangers in growing older. Some benefits. Let's take the first benefit. One is heaven is closer. <laughs> Heaven is closer. The anticipation of heaven. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, you're still there. Look at verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Outer man is decaying. Notice verse 17, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And Paul faced those kinds of things every day. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Those eyes that cannot see very well can see heaven. They can see heaven, maybe even better than someone younger. That brain that cannot recall where you put your glasses or put something else, it can and is able to anticipate eternal glory. You know, God is sovereign when any, when any of us are going to go to heaven. We don't know, but there's we can, one thing we can say, no one is closer to heaven than an elderly Christian. 
Romans 13 and 11 said, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. That's true for everybody in this room as a Christian. Salvation is nearer, but for an elderly Christian, that is a reality. It's almost like I'm going to get there before you. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians. Just go down the page. 2 Corinthians 5, 1. For we know that if the earthly tent which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God. We're in a tent right now that's not permanent. And one day we're going to get a building that is permanent. You see in verse 1, a house, made, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. A heavenly body one day. Verse 2, for indeed this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. We do, we do groan. This body of sin, this body of pain. Verse 3, Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. If we're indeed while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Verse 5, Now he who prepared us, prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Verse 6, therefore being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. That's anticipation. That's anticipation. That's what Paul's looking forward to, to be out of this body and to be in the presence of the Lord. Verse 9, therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. See, that anticipation just gives you energy, spiritual energy. Maybe not the energy you had before, but it does give you energy. When you think about that reality, I am closer to heaven than I've ever been. I will leave this body of sin one day. I will leave this body with its limitations one day and I will be in the presence of the Lord. And Paul lived this out. I don't, you don't have to turn there, but in 2 Timothy, I like what Paul says to Timothy. He says, Timothy, I'm near death. Verse 6 of chapter 4. I am being poured out as, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is getting close. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord... in." The righteous judge will award to me on that day. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. So he served the Lord for 30 years. Beatings, shipwreck, in prison, sleepless nights, all of that. Lots of physical ailments. He could write his own medical dictionary. At age 60, he was going through all of this without ibuprofen. All the aches and all the pains of old age. But it all just made heaven closer to him. Verse 18 says, And he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. The second benefit is influence. And this is an important one. Influence. Um, influence. You have an opportunity that someone younger than you does not have in this issue of influence. Look at Psalm 145, 3 and 4. Turn back to Psalm 145, 3 and 4. In Psalm 145, verse 3, he's praising God in this psalm. He's talked about the greatness and the faithfulness of God in this psalm. And then verse 3, he says, Great is the Lord 
and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Notice in verse 4, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation praises, uh, shall praise your works to another generation. This is something you can do that somebody younger cannot do for you if you've been a Christian for a long time. You cannot speak of the great, when you speak of the great faithfulness of our God, it means something incredibly different than somebody who's much younger than you. You have an opportunity to influence the next generation with truths about God that you have learned throughout your life, namely his faithfulness how faithful he has been. Flip over to Psalm 71. This is definitely an old person's psalm, Psalm 71, which was read earlier. Verse 17 of Psalm 71. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I grow old and gray, O God, do not forsake me, verse 18, until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. God, give me enough strength to be able to glorify you, to speak to the next generation about your faithfulness. That's what he's saying. Uh, Christian grandparents sometimes say, say, I'm just going to spoil my grandchildren. That's what I'm going to do. And uh, that's kind of, there's two things wrong with that. One, it's just veiled revenge for one. Uh, you just want to make life difficult for you as you made it for me type of thing. But secondly, it fails to understand what we're saying here in this psalm. It's so opposite of this psalm. This, it, it fails to understand the power of influence. It, it fails to understand that God took care of me when I was young, and, he, and he's allowed me to live so I can tell you that he will take care of you too. Can you think of anything more that our kids need to hear today than that there is hope? Can you, think, can you think of anything more they need to hear? I mean, they are growing up in a time when you and I look at it and go, my goodness, what are they going to do? In our flesh, that's how we look at it. But you and I who have lived longer and have seen the faithfulness of God through many trials and many difficulties, and there were times in our early life when we looked at the world and it looked incredibly scary, and we've seen how God has brought us through that, sustained us through that, used that in our lives. We see how God has uh, taught us things. We've had financial uh, short, you know, times when we were financially short. And we've seen God's faithfulness in providing that. Think about those kids looking at you and wondering what wisdom you can impart. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, How do you, what is this about leaving a legacy for your children? Well, it's not your stuff, I guarantee you that. It's your faith. It's your faith. That no matter how bad things got, and no matter how bad I failed in life, God was still faithful. He was still faithful, and he still sustained me, and he brought me through. There were times when it shouldn't have worked out on paper for us to make it, but we did. God's provided. Just think of that young father who is struggling to make ends meet for his family, that you could impart that kind of hope to this generation of the faithfulness of God, or that mom with four kids struggling to just keep her sanity. You could come alongside somebody like that and say, hey, it'll be worth it one day. 
It just that is what this is about. The younger and the, the older and the younger in the body of Christ, that is the influence that we can have. To be able to say, young person, God has brought you into this world for such a time as this, and he will sustain you. I've seen his faithfulness, and I know he can do it, and he will do it. He's the same God. He's the same God. That has a lot more weight to it than somebody 30 or 40 telling them that. And the final one is, is, in terms of benefit, is devotion. Devotion. Turn to Daniel 9. Where I think you're, you're not, are you? You're not in the Old Testament. Are you in the Old Testament? Yes, you are. Daniel 9. Daniel chapter 9. Look at this. This is devotion. This is another benefit. This is a benefit. Uh, you see Daniel, who's 80 years old. You just see his devotion to God in verse 1. The first year of Darius, the son of Azarus of, of, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, gives the date of when he's doing this. He's, he's reading uh, the scroll. Um, in the first year of his reign, verse 2 says, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem namely 70 years. So he's reading his Bible. This is all I'm trying to show you. He's reading his Bible. He's 80 years old. He's reading his Bible. He got his Bible out. He's reading his Bible. And he observes the number of years for the captivity in Jeremiah 25 and 29. And that moves him to prayer in verse 3. So I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplication. And I'm just saying, growing old, Growing old in Christ gives you the opportunity to have undistracted devotion to Christ. Listen to what Jay Adams says in this book. There is no need for a person to waste the last years of his life watching TV. He may still have a productive place in God's kingdom if only he will. Here is one of the great differences between those who are happy in old age and those who are not. People with time on their hands who do nothing in service to Christ tend to become ingrown, self-centered, and sicker than those who busy themselves with productive ministry. The ministry may differ from their ministry in earlier times, but every older believer who is still conscious may serve in some capacity, end of quote. You know, it is important that young people see the older person still running on the track. At 65, I just said, let the younger people do it. I'm not doing it anymore, is the common thing you hear. Let them do it. You know, as you get older, your, your mental capacity, you know, I think there are different two phases to old age. The, when you start entering it, and you still got your facilities going, and later it gets a little less and less. But, you know, get a large print scroll like Daniel was reading. <laughs> I mean... Or get one of these young people, maybe you have grandkids, maybe get them to just download audio Bible for you and make sure they tell you what button to push. That's very important. <laughs> but just the uninterrupted time for worship and prayer. Because there's so much to pray about. So much to pray about. But your devotion to God can expand in that time. 
Now here's some dangers, and this is the hard part, and I'm gonna make a lot of people mad, I'm sure, before this is over, but this is the hard part. But this is real to me, this is true. This is, I see my own heart in some of this. Uh, growing old in Christ, the danger here is not physical dangers like I'm gonna fall, or like uh, I'm gonna get swindled on the internet, or that's not that kind of danger. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about character dangers, certain character dangers that happen in old age. I'm talking about when older people get to a certain age, they start to just excuse ordinary sin. Like they have something they can just say, oh, I reached this age and it just, these things don't matter. You just got to like me the way I am. And I'm not talking about Alzheimer's. I'm not talking about that kind of thing at all. Understand that. But too many times older people think that that these sins don't matter. Things like selfishness and pride. I get a free pass. You just need to accept that in me. I get to be self-focused. I get to be bitter. I get to be bitter. I get to nurture bitterness. I get to be angry. I've learned it. I get to be rude. Talking about things like that. At my age, you must just tolerate my ordinary sins. Here's the question. Well, what does the fruit of the Spirit look like in old age when you're 70 or 80 years old? What does it look like? How does love for God look when I'm 70 or 80? How does loving others look when I'm 70 or 80? Did something change in the Bible? Let me give you a few of them. Let me give you a few of the dangers. I'll tell you the, and if you're a younger person and you see these things in your life, start putting them off now because a lot of these are hard to break once you get older. Start putting them off now as Ephesians 4 says. Number one is grumbling. Grumbling. All sinners are tempted to grumble. You live in this world, this fallen world, and it's very easy. to ha- You have a lot to grumble about. We all do. We're all guilty. In adaption, uh, uh, J. Adams in this book, in his, an adaption from uh, Matthew 18, he says this, where two, two or more older people are gathered together, there in their midst is someone complaining. <laughs> that is true. That is so true. And for some reason, that goes with the territory. That goes with the territory. Listen to this. You don't have to turn. I don't have time for you to turn to all these verses, but listen to this. Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Lights in the world. Grumbling sheds darkness. Grumbling does not shed light. Listen, we live in a fallen world. But God is in control of this fallen world. We need to live like we believe that. 
Because grumbling is just about the one who's in control, right? The one who's in charge. Let the world do that stuff. You and I say, God, how can I be a light in the world? How can I be different than the world? How can I respond to this mess differently than the world responds to it? Or respond to all the other things that are going wrong in my life? You know what it does, folks? It drives people away. It sours relationships. Who wants to be around someone who is grumbling and complaining about everything? If if at some point the only outing you have in life is a doctor's appointment, it's okay to come home and talk about that appointment for a little bit, but don't turn it into a self-focused catalog of every infirmity that you have. Really work at that. It's not helpful to you. It's not helpful to others. It's just... It's just not loving others. It's just thinking about you and wanting others to feel sorry for you or others to think about you as much as you think about you. There's a lot of body changes going on. We read that. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot to grumble about. But we need to express gratitude. Gratitude that our God is in control and He is faithful no matter how bad things are or how bad things look. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Thanks to God, all to His glory. That is the question back. Christianity 101, love God, love others. Ask yourself, how is my behavior loving God and loving others? Let that be the lens through which you interpret yourself. Not the world, not how you feel, but let that be the lens through which and how you interpret your life. Christians can do better than this. Grumbling, it's a hard habit to break. I get it. I know that. I know it. I've done it. I I get that. And it's also a danger. It's a character danger of old age. It's a character danger throughout life, but especially in old age when there's so much going on. And the second danger would be this, uh, he calls it planning to have nothing to do. It's kind of drift. Um, and that's what I would say it is, drift. The danger, the character danger of, of drifting, of just being involved in purposeless activity with no purpose, inactivity. You see, some people look forward to retiring, and, and, and uh, if they don't die soon after they retire, then they start to realize that retirement is not all it's cracked up to be. They kind of die... They started dying inside. They become almost lifeless because they don't have any, any purpose. They get caught up in self-focused activity. They get bored. 
It might be exciting to think it's going to be the best years, and they can be exciting years, yes, but not if it's just self-focused inactivity that feeds boredom. Nothing meaningful. In some cases, the best they can do is just retreat into the past and think about old memories. Nothing new, nothing new, and nothing in the future. It's just old memories. And the memories are great. I love sitting and talking to older people, and they, I don't know if they like hearing my memories, but the point is that, you know, we do, they like doing that. But that's not where we live. That's not, listen to Ecclesiastes 7.10. Or, or, you know, even worse, they'll rehash some regret in the past. Keep re- rehashing that over and over and over again. But it's in the past. Listen to Ecclesiastes 7.10. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? He says, don't say that. For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Uh, Oh, for the good old days. Life situations that are long gone, and it just turns into self-pity and self-focused despair. And you know, listen, people don't lose their minds on the whole. People give their minds away. That's what happens. Just give your mind away. You you decide that you're just going to retreat into some preoccupation with the past. Hurts of the past, pains of the past, regrets of the past, the good times of the past, things like that. Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge of wisdom in Sheol where you're going. This is the place to do it, to plan and to have purpose and do your work. Um... With all your might. And I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for the role models of older people we have in this church that are doing that. We got them. We got elderly people in this church that are on the track and they're still running and they're still in the Word of God and they're in ministry and they're involved in people's lives and I'm thankful for them. They're great role models to us. But if that's not you, you need to get in there, you need to get on the track. And you need to get your eyes off of yourself because that is not loving God and that is not loving others and that is not being involved in gospel ministry. And you're called to a life of that. You did not stop at 65. You can drift. You just drift into purposelessness. You just don't even know why you're here. That may be okay for the unbeliever because they don't know where they're going. They have every reason to be afraid of the future. They don't have a purpose. But for you and I, that's just not true. We have a purpose. We can serve in the body of Christ. It may not be the way we did it before, but we can do it, and we can find ways to do it. And another one, another danger. This is a character danger. It's, it's called denial, denial. And there's several in this category, but denial. Um, and and it, will, it, it will keep you from growing old gracefully. Um, thinking that, it's the thinking that and the expectation that my health and my living situation will never change. It's not going to change. It never will. And even when I'm 70 or 80, it's just going to be just like it is now. I was born in this house. I'm staying in this house. I'm not going anywhere. I won't ever have to. 
It's just denial. Denial. That's, that's just not a realistic expectation of life. It's declining that your abilities, uh, you're just trying to say that it's not going to happen to me. That's just not true. It's dangerous. It's not easy to admit. I get that. But it's, it's dangerous not to admit it. Romans 12, 3, listen to this. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. That's what humility does. Humility, humility is willing to admit that, willing to, here's an example, humility is willing to give my kids my car keys and say, if you don't think it's safe for me to be driving, don't give them back to me. My ability to assess that may not be what it needs to be. And I care more about, um, I care more about the safety of others than I do about my own independence. At some point you might have to do that, I don't know. Just using an example, but we can't always see when things are diminishing. We can't always see when our abilities are getting weaker and weaker. And you just need to have people, whether it's if you don't have children, or then, then someone who cares and loves you, enough to tell you, yes, you need to recognize this is going on. And you need to be willing. See, I pray my kids never have to play this sermon back to me. I pray that I am humble enough to say, hey, I don't, I don't want to stand in the pulpit on Sunday mornings. I don't want to be driving a car. I don't want to be doing anything beyond the time that I should be there. Because I know that I'm not going to get, you know, I know we, this all happens to all of us. That's humility. That's loving others. That's caring about others being more important than me. Listen, everybody wants me to drive as long as I can still drive. Everybody wants you to drive as long as you can still drive, but it comes to a point where that's just not safe for you or for others. So humility is loving others and humility is asking, what do you think? Old age does not mean that Ordinary graces just suddenly disappear. Another part of denial. Um, it's interesting when I read about Moses, uh, he was ready for the transition to take place. He, he said in Deuteronomy 31, he, I'm 120 years old, I've lost strength, and rather than clinging to his position, just holding on to it, he had the humility to say, now Joshua, you take it. You take it. He was humbly preparing for, common, for coming changes. Uh, see, people want to deny death altogether. I'm not going to die. I don't want to talk about death. It's just not going to happen. They act like it's not going to ever happen to them. They just, they don't, it's an unpleasant subject. Let's don't talk about it. On the other hand, on the other hand, you see David waiting, holding on to the throne in, in uh, what was it, First Kings, maybe. Uh, I don't remember, but anyway, 
David holding on to the throne and all the turmoil that was caused once he left the scene because he would not admit that he was not able to do this. Yes, in Kings, First Kings. And there was so much turmoil after his death. You know, you know what's a loving thing to do for your kids is make a will? Make a will. Some elderly people are so afraid to talk about the subject, they won't even make a will. The most loving, that's a very loving thing to do to help your children, help your family after you're gone. Just because you don't want to talk about death doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And just being willing to save them from the legal complexities and the family drama and you just get stubborn about denying your aging and you're going to die. Let's love your kids enough to plan for that. And another one is just denying the fact that I'm going to be dependent on somebody someday. <laughs> I'm going to, don't want to talk about, nobody wants to talk about that, but the fact that I am going to be dependent on somebody else someday. If I don't, if I live a long time, I will be dependent. All of us will be dependent. You say, I don't want to be a burden to my kids. I just don't want to be a burden to my kids. And I guess I could say to you is just stop saying that because you're going to be. <laughs> you're going to be. Of course you're going to be. Uh, of course you are. They were a burden to you for 20 years. And now this just all comes around, right? I mean, and that's not a burden in the bad sense. That's, that's how God designed it. That's how God designed families, right? He designed families like that. It's like you keep saying that over, I've said that, but you keep saying that over and over again, but that's, it, well, yeah, of course, you are. It is, it's not an easy, life is not easy. It's not easy. And I'm going to be dependent on whether it's my children or somebody else to take care of me if I live long enough. And we need to have the humility to say that. And, and I recognize 1 Timothy 5 tells children to take care of their parents. And I realize that some children are selfish and I, I get all that. That's another sermon. I'm talking to elderly right now. And what I'm trying to say to you is make it easy for them to take care of you. Make it easy. Don't make it difficult. By your denial and your stubbornness about your not needing any help, when it's so clear you do need help, and be willing to take that and accept that, and quit worrying about and letting pride get in the way, because there comes a time when you need to do that, and you need to be taken care of, and the children, if you have children or someone comes along and helps take care of you, don't make it difficult for them to do that. That's pride. That's just pride. Refusing to be helped. The Christian life teaches us that. We're not independent. There are times we had more ability to be independent, but in reality, we're never totally independent. And here's another one, self-centeredness. I've talked about it in some ways, but self-centeredness is just expecting everybody to live their lives around you. 
even if they're in a job or something and something happens, they got to move. I mean, I'm just talking about it from your perspective. Just don't make things difficult. Like everything centers around you. That's not loving them. That's just loving yourself. Now, I get it. There are realities that they may need to think about, but I'm not talking to them this morning. I'm just talking about whatever they decide. Your contentment and your security is not in what they do. And your contentment in life is based on your relationship with God and enjoying your kids and your grandkids and all of that and your, and your friends or all of that are, are wonderful things, but don't be self-centered and don't be a tyrant and, and think, well, you got to do what I want and try to control them like that. Those are things that you want to say things like, God has given you to me and I want to make life joyful and easy for you rather than just make you feel bound to me. You express your need and in all of that, no doubt about it, but as we approach old age, we just got to realize that loving God and loving others, being involved in the gospel, it's always been there. It's always been told, we've always been told to do that throughout our Christian life and nothing has changed and nothing has changed just because we got older. And we need to figure out how that looks now because it's, it's old. It, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to grow old. It's difficult. And that's why God chose, the, chose it to be for the elderly because young people couldn't handle this. They just couldn't handle this. And it requires a lot of things and it, and it requires mostly humility. It just requires humility. Putting others, considering others more important than yourself. Let that be the rest of your life verse, right? The rest of your life verse, considering others more important than me. Anticipating heaven and influence and those are just wonderful benefits. Let's just thank God for that. I praise you, Father, this morning for this time in your word. Father, this, this is just a an uncomfortable subject, but a necessary subject. It's how you design life. There's no shock here. Father, may we live life to your glory, whether we are 30 or 80. God, may we choose to love you and love others and be involved in the gospel ministry. May we put you first and others second and ourselves last. May we consider others more important May we grow old gracefully, not bitter old men and old women, but may we radiate the love of Christ to others. May we shine in the darkness around us. May we not just check out a life because we have slowed down, but God, may we find those avenues, those spheres where our zeal for God can be used, where we can bring glory to you and honor to you. We just thank you, Father, for the, your word that guides us in this and gives us such clear instruction.
Just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.